0: shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum welcome to my friend autism with orion kelly a podcast breaking down barriers stigma and misconceptions around autism and now here's your neurologically different host orion kelly
1: And thanks for listening to My Friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly and I'm autistic. I personally view my autism as a neurological gift. But what's critical to understand is that I'm just one person on the autism spectrum. So if you've met one person on the spectrum, well, you've met one person on the spectrum. No two autistic people are the same. We have individual challenges and gifts. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, and engaging conversations on autism. This podcast seeks to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while providing real insights into life on the spectrum. My aim is to have open conversations that inform and engage and ultimately make the world a better place for autistic people.
0: My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Orion. Online at orionkelly.com.au My guest
1: on this episode is Chris Varney, the founder and chief enabling officer of the ICANN Network. Chris, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you, Orion. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Now, before we explore the ICANN Network, just for those listening that may not know your story, would you mind sharing us with us your story and your connection to autism?
2: Well, I'm lucky to be autistic. I was diagnosed when I was five and it was disclosed to me when I was 14 by my parents. They opted to share it with me a bit later because I was a bit of a melodramatic unit, Orion, and probably (laughs) might have used it as an excuse. Uh, I grew up in a very, very ICANN family. That was the attitude. We were surrounded by all sorts of different forms of disability and so that you know everyone was looked at through a, a lens of achievement and competence and high expectations no matter what your circumstances in the family and that rubbed off on me really well i benefited enormously from mentors so significant others in school or wider family who really helped me soothe my anxiety, that was my biggest issue, and also channel my strength. And as I grew older, I was lucky to have internships and jobs. And when I was Youth Ambassador to the UN, I was starting to talk about, you know, being autistic and, you know, the positives of being autistic and never let a label limit what you're capable of. And that experience then gave me an insight into just how deficit focused the whole autism conversation had been and the biggest impact of that was on the I can't attitudes that a lot of young autistics have and that that is a it's not something to blame anyone for you blame I guess societal conditions Uh, the I can't narrative around autism, which I, that's my umbrella term for a lot of the deficit focus. I think that's had a huge, yeah, I think that builds this sense of shame about being autistic and that, the, yeah, I, I, I'm really upset when that affects vulnerable young people. So I was very determined to use all my experience in the youth sector to build a build a program that would build up the confidence, belonging, self-acceptance and optimism of autistic kids, teenagers and young adults and that's exactly what I did. I set up I Can Network with some autistic friends, James and Penny, and we were very lucky to receive some support from some schools in the beginning. And today it's become Australia's largest autistic-led organisation.
1: It's a phenomenal network and I want to kind of expand on, on it and comings and goings of it in just a sec. But first, I just I always on the podcast like to, if I ever have the opportunity to share my, some own, my own personal experiences because you know, people listening, sometimes it helps to hear personal experiences. Yeah. And um, I mean, a lot of what you said resonated with me and we have different stories from my point of view. I, um, as you well know, um, I was born autistic. I just wasn't diagnosed until adulthood. So, uh, you know, I didn't acquire it or catch it, as some might think. So I was I was born autistic, and obviously I had a, a tricky uh, childhood. You know, I, I was absolutely yeah. uh, bullied, I think more by girls than boys. I'm not sure why. Anyway, I was bullied through school, and I ended up, you know, finishing high school and getting into um, a career in commercial radio, which is when you look back now and go, hang on a second, an autistic kid on commercial radio, on the biggest radio stations... Wow. On the big, when I was twenty, I was on the air at Today FM in Sydney. That's about the peak of commercial radio when I was twenty. So, you know, I've worked in commercial radio and TV wow. since 1995. So, I've been on commercial wow. radio, I've been on TV, I've been in short films, I've I've done I've done all that kind of stuff. So, just like you would say, I my gift, my autistic gift, is my creativity, but more specifically, my ability to write and perform that creativity. So. I think you know everyone has their own uh, their own gift, their own superpower, their own strength, and and that's mine. And of course, I do have deficits, but that's not what I focus on. I use my strengths mm. to make to make a difference. And what's really interesting, like you said, another thing that resonated with me is um, okay. So I'm a, I'm a married man. Another thing, people people that aren't autistic are listening, going, hang yeah. on a hang on a second. This autistic <laughs> this autistic guy you know, has worked in commercial radio and TV, has married a neurotypical woman and has kids. That's right. I do. Um, And, and what resonated with me when you said is, so we have, I have a wife who's neurotypical and we have two kids, a five year old and a five month old. And in the last, in the last month, uh, in the last month, our five year old has been diagnosed autistic. Uh, And, and the same as me, I would class it as an Aspie rating. So, so, Basically, you know, you've got me and my five-year-old son who are on the spectrum and you've got my wife and let's just say the five-month-old is at this point is just a kind of a neurotypical. So it's like a 50-50 split family, but we told him straight away because I think as, you know, when you get the early intervention access to behavioural psychologists and OTs and, and yada, 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 they, they really these days kind of encourage that, you know, that open honesty from the start to give them an opportunity to to take it on. And also because he's starting primary school in a few months, it it clearly needed to be put on the table. So it's really interesting. And what's what's even more interesting about you and I is as as I said, I, I did high school. It wasn't a great experience school for me, but I didn't do badly. I did radio and then in my 30s I decided I decided I wanted to study. I wanted to, you know, I'd never been to uni. I wanted to study. And I, I wanted and honestly, I decided I wanted to study law and you can't study law when you if you finish year 12 and working right over 20 years, that's just not how it works, not built in the system isn't built like that. So what I did was no. I, I called the unis and I, I asked how to do it and they said, OK, do this. So. I enrolled in a, um, a certificate of justice studies at the, at, at the local TAFE, uh, at cert four, and I had to get basically HDS in every single thing just to be. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I so that's the first hurdle. I did that. Then I applied to um, Monash to do an arts degree, knowing I would transfer into law after year one. Right. So I got into Monash Arts. Amazing. That's a great great accomplishment. And I, I, then I had to do Monash Arts for a year, again, getting high scores. And I did that. And I got into Monash University Law in 2016. And I haven't finished my degree yet, um, but I'm basically about seven units away from finishing my law degree at Monash University, which, which you and I can relate to. A, we've both been there. It's, what's really interesting is until the middle of this year – I didn't think I was a disability that would provide services at uni. I didn't apply for anything since 2016. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. what's what's really amazing is, I don't know about you, but to me, as the more I did my law degree, the more I realised how uh, horribly bad I was in certain circumstances, um, m- and more importantly, exams, and I would get potentially, you know, Distinctions to HDs in assessments, in semester assessments, and then exams, I would literally, it would literally be like you put a potato on a chair and told them, you know, I would freeze, I would get stressed, I would be pressured. There's so much noise. We do it on computers now, Chris. There's clicking and clacking and blah, 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 and people are talking and there's there's people on microphones and there's a lot of pressure and stress. And for someone like me, it's a, it's a sensory overload. So to be honest with you, at this point now, Chris, I, I really think I'll just quit. I just think I'll quit. I don't want to. It's just too much. But I'm kind of pushing myself to finish it, knowing the "I can" attitude. You know, obviously um, Thomas, who's mentioned you from from the disability support services at Monash Uni, has yes. actually has actually provided me with. He's actually said, look, from from when you go back semester one you we're going to help you we're going to give you supports and and that's the that's literally the one thing that turned me around from quitting to going back i'm gonna because again as you say it's not about focusing on the deficits but we have to acknowledge there are things that are tricky for us and if we can provide an environment to allow us to use our strengths and i mean because you know i didn't get into monash law by luck you'd have to work for it um so as a result you know using those those supports can actually provide me. It doesn't actually give me an advantage. It just raises me up to the level of, you know, of neurotypical people in in the conditions that they couldn't – they don't care less about. It's just any day of the week to them. So it's really interesting. The I can network, I think it's a fantastic mindset because – we we have to acknowledge we are we are clearly different. We are, you know the neurodiversity is I see it as a benefit. Um, it's a gift, not a disability to me. But it still is a disability in certain circumstances. So it's a really fine balance. I think in in that I can I can't, and it and I think. From your point of view, you acknowledge that, but you really believe in providing people with the environment to get their strengths and really push it forward. And I'd love for you to kind of broaden on the ICANN network as in, you know, how did it come about? How does it work? Kind of give us, I guess, a snapshot of it in play.
2: Okay. Well, firstly, Orion, that's an amazing story. Wow. I, I have to relate. There's a lot I obviously relate to in that. I found a law degree... An enormous struggle. Uh, it was, yeah, an enormous struggle. It took me seven years. I had two years off in the middle. Genuinely wondered whether it was the right path for me. I probably can look back. I'm not a diagnostician, but I think I did have some depression in 2010 uh, when I was trying to pass property and administrative law. Oh, no, <laughs>
1: don't talk about admin. You, I've got nightmares no, and flashbacks.
2: You've got nightmares. Yeah. Um, and I know when I but I learned uh, I'm not sure if this is helpful this is probably more therapy for you and I so if you're listening this just, <laughs> yeah, I hope you can relate to it if you're if you're going through an academic degree <laughs> uh, I found the culture of a law school wants you to kind of produce law exam notes in the same way that everyone else is and there is this gentle design whether it's through law societies or whether it's through the way notes are structured to have you take notes the way everyone else does and there are more brave lecturers who prompt you to think you know how do you learn build your notes around how you learn it was only until my last year and a half in the law degree Orion where I actually learned yes I need to structure my notes around the things I love so I rocked up to my corporation's law exam with my notes structured in Lord of the Rings lands, um, Harry Potter spells. It was a complete, you know, fantasy land that I walked in with and I got, you know, a, a, a Ripper HD and that did not happen to me. I was a passes and credits student and it was only until I completely restructured the way I took notes that I learnt. Oh, I can actually do this. So I would just say, if you're listening, it's it's you know no matter who you are, whether you're autistic or neurodiverse or what you know whatever you identify with. Obviously, we all succeed when we're just playing to our strengths. And on that note, I came with the way it's structured to answer your question, Orion. So we are a, we are a group mentoring service. So we deliver group mentoring for fee through school programs, which we call ICANN schools, and that includes primary and secondary schools. So we partner with 90 schools across Victoria and Queensland, and we have an online called ICANN online program, and that engages on average 90 kids and autistic teenagers per week in one-hour group mentoring programs that run up an evening between 7pm to 8pm. And the benefit of that is that you can reach us no matter what your location. So that was that's done a lot to make sure that people could access our content and our messages and our autistic mentors, you know, from as far away as Broome, you know, wherever they might be in Australia. So that's been awesome. So and then the thirdly, we run camps that accelerate the mentorship and leadership skills in our teenagers. And then alongside that, we share our insights from our group mentoring via a speakers agency and consultancy service. So uh, I'm very lucky to be Chief Enabling Officer. So that, that's our, our title for CEO. And I have a marvellous deputy CEO named Tiffany Mumford. And we have a management team and regional managers that run our group mentoring programs you know, in North Coast, Southeast Queensland and then throughout Victoria. So it's been a big journey. You can I would also add to that, you can I guess sometimes people are like similar to you, you know, when they hear you're married with kids. I'm married with a young kid. I don't have a five month old, so that must be that must I know what that's like. That's huge. <laughs> uh I know what that's like. Mine is he's 18 months now. So I yeah, I get people that say, "Oh, wow, you're leading a business." It's, uh, you know, they people, you know, it breaks their perception of what autism is when you say, "Yeah, I've got 44 staff." People go, "Oh, you know, they didn't, they didn't perceive an autistic to do that." So it's always about breaking people's perceptions, and it's not about shoving it in their face and saying, "Hey, I'm." Um, hey, I'm great, it's just about helping them so that when they meet the next autistic person, they're assuming competence, they're not assuming incompetence. Because I guess that assumption of competence is so important. You can, autistics have a hypersensitivity, we can sense who we feel safe and comfortable with. And so if you're listening, I, I, you know, assume that an autistic person in your presence can pick up more in the room, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest ironies I find is that people, when they meet people that might have severe autism or, non, you know, might be non-speaking or have greater support requirements, people naturally write that person off. They just go, well, they, they can't do much. And the actual opposite is true because when you, having lived with someone who was non-speaking and had, you know, huge hypersensitivities, it was because that person could pick up more in the room. Sound was louder. Light was brighter. Emotions were more deeply felt. And that is, yeah, and that's what meant that my neighbour needed to um, stim more intensively than others. I mean, we all stim, but he needed to do that more intensively. And so, yeah, it's always about breaking people's perceptions to help them assume competence with the next autistic they meet.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, for those um, listening that don't have autism, uh, when Chris talks about stimming, we've talked about it before. Basically, you know, you look at it like a, in a neurotypical world when you get a bit nervous, you might fidget. Well, we autistic people to you will look like they're fidgeting and doing that type of stuff, but they're not. What they're doing is they're doing a thing called stimming And that is their way of, I guess, processing the world around them. Uh, And it might even be a way of finding uh, a calmness. I do it too. I have therapy, I like to touch my fingers and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting insight. And what you said really, really interested me. And I wanted to know what you think about the wider community with regards to where are we at with the wider community embracing autism?
2: We are in a very interesting place. So there are... Lots of things going on in the rights-based movement to see autism embraced in Australia. At the moment, on the ground, in grassroots, when you speak with students and parents, they're still facing a lot of very veiled and subtle discrimination. And it is a very subversive way of using autism as an insult. That is that is still the context that today's autistic teenagers are growing up in. So that's the vital importance of school programs. Yeah, the school remains the main organisation that Australians go through in their formation. <laughs> so influencing the way schools are set up their inclusive approaches and inclusion is such a means different things in different states of Australia. Yeah, we're still facing autism is still used as an insult. In today's primary and secondary schools, predominantly in high schools, I am most worried about high schools, I think primary schools, because they have been so connected with the therapies available under early intervention funding schemes, I feel that primary schools have been forced into a more inclusive approach and I think that's worked wonders. Um, I don't have the data on that. The data I do have is that 44% of autistic secondary students in Victoria are changing secondary schools at least once. That's data from Amaze Victoria. I also have data that says that autistic people are nine times more likely to attempt self-injury necessarily because of, you know, mental health issues. So that's You know, that tells me that that transition to high school and the experience in high school years is, uh, yeah, I I think there's a lot about the high school structure and there's a lot about the way that we think about autistic teenagers. Predominantly we think that people, you know, kind of grow out of their autism and manage, you know, they're managing now. um, But what happens when you're a teenager and you're autistic is you're, you know, you're processing emotions very differently to your peers. You experience your rites of passage at different times. There is a lot, huge, you know, the emotional well-being is very different for autistic teenagers versus, um, it's not an us and them, but versus the more typically developed teenager. So I, at the, I'm always concerned with young people. And so that is, that's the context I look at straight away. Um, We often miss that perspective because we look at what's happening in media and in media, there is a lot of positive things happening. We're seeing more shows, atypical, we're seeing the good doctor. There's lots of representations of autism taking place. And my philosophy with them is that is, you know, that is a good thing. It mightn't be accurate, but the issue is you're never going to have a completely accurate view of autism because everyone's autism is so different. So I think it's good that we've got some positive efforts towards representing autism in a positive light. So that, I, I like that. But you also have more government plans that are you know, wanting to build in autistic voice. We have an Australian Autism Alliance. We have that group has a forum with the NDIA, National Disability Insurance Agency, um, governments. I know I'm on three different government committees looking at building an autistic voice, so I think that's very positive and I've had a good experience there. So the government media, they're doing a lot. I can I, I really know that, to understand the size and the needs of this Australian community. Uh, but I, I really think... Australians, we tend to have a perception of what's happening on social media, and that can be very different to what's actually happening on the grassroots. I see a lot of, I'll be blunt here, I see a lot of my colleagues in the autism space probably assuming that things are further ahead than they are because they're basing it on the bubble of their social media feed. And that is that is a bit of a trap um, for living in an echo chamber uh, because the reality for a lot of kids and teenagers that I see on the ground is they're still they're still very scared to be themselves
1: absolutely and you know what a great example is I uh, through my podcast clearly to the world at large opened up and said look I have I have autism I'm autistic and along with that uh, that uh, you know the kind of the comorbidities of anxiety general anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder they, they're what I have and you know to be honest I know that if I you know, if I were to say that to commercial radio bosses, you know, when I was applying for roles, I don't believe. I think it's sheer ignorance to say that wouldn't go against me in the in the mod in the current era. Oh yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I, but I did it. I thought I've got a five year old son. I'm willing to take the bullet if it means he's going to get a better chance. So I, you know, in a, I've kind of taken the bullet for him, and I I genuinely believe that. I genuinely don't believe to as we sit here today that I'll ever to continue to get opportunities. We're in the industry that I love, because of my you know my openness, and that's why I, I do podcasting. Because you know I'm not limited to an audience; it's the, it's the world at large. But I, I you know yeah. I think there are probably people in radio and TV who are autistic because you know we are we are so creative in a different way on a whole new level mm. to regular people. That there has to be, and they just obviously don't want to talk about it, but. Maybe you have the same fear, maybe you don't you know. I really, I'm really scared for my five-year-old going into the school system, probably because of my experiences. And, you know, you would know better than most with the ICANN network. You know, where do you think the Australian school system's at um, for, for my son starting next year with regards to, uh, with regards to a regular standard school? Cause I really feel strongly that my son deserves to go to the, to go to the same school as any other, any other child, if, he, if that's something that he's able and capable of doing. I mean, where do you think we're at?
2: The good news, Orion, is I I haven't seen a primary school that's really dropping the ball on autism. So I I walk in, I don't want to be arrogant, but I I do see a lot of schools and I am very encouraged by what I see in even the most cash-strapped primary school. So take heart. Your five-year-old is walking into a primary school sector where there is a lot of supports and there is a lot of understanding uh, because the absolute focus of, Autism professional learning, training strategies has been primary. So there's no doubt about that. Uh, My concern, I would say, yeah, as I said earlier, is secondary schools. Our autism training has been incredibly primary focused. It has not understood that autistic kids grow into autistic teenagers. It has followed all the funding that is attached to, you know, when the zero to eight life stage and it does not um, think enough about the different emotional processing styles of autistic teenagers. It's been overwhelmingly focused on the sensory supports, which is important, uh, but in my experience, yeah, the, it, the, the battle for autistic teenagers is helping them create their own identity in that life stage where people are, are creating that, their identity and they're experiencing hormones and life is happening and they're growing up. And it is always about helping autistic teenagers embrace their own timeline for things. So that is that is the guts of my concern. I really think secondary schools, that's where a lot of work has to be done. Uh, and it's if you look at a bigger issue, it's because secondary schools have to work more as a business. They have much higher pressures on them. They have... You know, that ATAR moment in the year 12 and that in itself needs to be a lot more flexible to the needs of students with language issues, for instance. So, yeah, I find primary schools uh, immediately grip the focus on mental health and emotional wellbeing and there's an enormous amount of programs I see in primary schools but secondary schools, if you it remains the issue. If you're not a sports jerk... If you're not the academic whiz and if you're in the middle with creativity, uh, yeah, that, that's where a lot of struggles can be. I mean, I do see, I do see some really good things. I, my inbox is equally full of great stories of autistics in secondary schools as it is of autistics struggling in secondary. And that didn't always used to be the case. My Facebook inbox, my email inbox was full of very sad stories six years ago and now I, I see some great things. Um, but you do, it does require a school leadership team at a secondary level to be making it a priority. And that, that that's, a, that's a big choice for a school, um, because it is a funding commitment. It's a practical commitment. You have to consider the staff you're hiring. It takes a while to set up that type of approach. It's not an overnight thing. And if you're a teacher listening you would be very aware that influencing a school is a is a long process it's a they're big organizations with a lot of stakeholders and so my biggest advice to parents is when you're talking to a school you, you know you are one of many many stakeholders and you have to test practice what you're wanting um, test it with a friend before you share it with the teacher because it is you do have to be reasonable at all times, um, but go in knowing what your rights are. Every parent is entitled to a meeting about their child with their teacher, and you are also entitled to your learner having an individual learning plan that customises the learn you know the curriculum to your child's learning. Style, so that's yeah. There, your rights.
1: And people should also keep in mind discrimination. I mean, the parents sometimes parents forget about that.
2: Look, yeah,
1: Chris, I've got to let you go. It's I could honestly talk to you all day. It's been so fascinating and delightful. Before I go though, do you want to just quickly tell people listening the ways they can uh, reach out and get in contact and learn more about the ICANN network?
2: Yeah. So. If you're in Victoria, Queensland, yeah, we have school programs and you can just email us at mentoring at icannetwork.com.au to learn about our school-based program. Uh, If you are listening and you're not in Victoria, Queensland, then you can benefit from our online mentoring program. So you just go to icannetwork.com.au and make an inquiry about online mentoring. It's a six-week program, one hour per week, And, yeah, it's just a nice – gives young people a gentle nudge towards feeling positive towards their autism.
1: So insightful, so fascinating. Uh, So grateful for your time, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks,
2: Orion. Good luck. All right, thank you.
1: My guest was Chris Varney, founder and chief enabling officer of the ICANN Network.
0: My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Join the conversation now at the Orion Kelly Facebook page. My Friend
1: Thank you so much for listening to my friend, Autism. I really do appreciate it. And if the episode has resonated with you, well, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach even more people in our quest to empower people about understanding autism. If you'd like to continue the conversation, suggest a topic or area of autism to explore, or just say hi, you can like the Orion Kelly Facebook page or send me a message by my website, orionkelly.com.au. That's O R I O N K E L L Y, because I got to. Take two. O R uh, I O N K E L L Y.com.au. My apologies for that awkward movie reference. This podcast is here to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while providing real insights into life on the spectrum. Together, We can make the world a better place for autistic people. And remember, once you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum. All I'm asking is for you to open your hearts and minds to people a little bit different to you and embrace the benefits of neurodiversity. Until next time, thank you so much for opening your minds and embracing differences.
0: You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion. And never miss an episode like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au.